0: Lord, um, we just praise you and we thank you and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever heard the argument that says that the Bible is filled with contradictions? Anybody ever hear that? It's often said, just stated, just kind of as a, as a general truth, a blanket statement. Um, if you ever are in a conversation and you hear that, I have, a, I have a suggestion for you. If someone, if you're speaking with someone, they say, well, that, you know, the Bible is just full of contradictions. I would advise you to ask, which, which contradictions do you have the most trouble with? Or say, oh, yeah, which ones do you think, which contradictions in the Bible do you think are the most damaging to, to people who believe the Bible to be true? I think that's a good idea because ordinarily, when folks say the Bible's full of contradictions, they really don't know any. It's a, the logical fallacy is called a hasty generalization, it's just kind of throwing a blanket hastily. Over something, You see, where that argument comes from usually is because someone wants to do this. I, I don't want this to be true. I don't want to be accountable to the God behind this. I have no plans of submitting my will, my desires, and my life to this book. So, if I say, well, there's contradictions in there, that will help me in my quest To ignore it. I'm convinced there are no contradictions in the Bible. However, there are some verses and some passages that you have to investigate to see how this one can be reconciled with that one. And we're going to look at one such example this morning. This morning we're finishing... Uh, a four-part little series in 1 Samuel 15 that I've called Doing a Bad Job Poorly. If you weren't here for the other three parts, don't worry. This, this lesson should stand on its own just fine. But here's where we've been. In this chapter, God ordered the, the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul, to do a really terrible job. God ordered Saul to exterminate people group called the Amalekites, all of the people and all of their animals. The first week in the study, we looked at why God would order such a terrible thing. The next week, we looked at how God, or excuse me, how Saul did that bad job poorly. He was disobedient. We looked at what his disobedience was and how people responded to it. One response was that God has rejected Saul as king. God has decided, you're fired, Saul. That was sort of week two. Last week, we saw how after Saul realized that God has rejected him, after he heard that God had rejected him, Saul tried to to do confession and repentance uh, like, like God wanted from him. He tried to do that quickly in hopes he could keep his job and the trappings of being king. But it didn't work because as we saw last week, he had what's called worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow. Which led to a false sort of repentance that's not the real real thing. And now this morning as we're in the aftermath of that story, We're going to look at a seeming contradiction by God that takes place in this chapter. We're going to jump around a little bit just to pick out the 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 parts that where the seeming contradiction happens. And here's what we're going to see: there's this word that means to change one's mind or to repent or to have regrets, and God says He does that. He regrets. He has changed his mind about having Saul be king. Then, he's gonna, then Samuel's going to say, God would never do that. And then God's going to say, yeah, I did that. All in the same chapter. So let's read that this morning. and Then I'll see if I can help us make sense of, of the seeming contradiction and see what where that leaves us and what we should learn. So we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 15. All of these verses are from 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to skip around a little bit, read first verses 10 and 11. So, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, so God said, I regret or repent or change my mind about. I regret that I've made Saul king because Saul has turned his back from following me. He's not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and he cried out to the Lord all night. Next example, skip to verse 26. But Samuel said to King Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and so the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and the robe tore. And so the prophet Samuel said to King Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, The glory of Israel, a nickname for God, will not lie nor change his mind, repent, have regrets, same word. For God is not a man that he should change his mind, have regrets, repent. And then the last two verses. Of the chapter. Then Samuel went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the days of his death, for Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted. They made Saul king over Israel. Do you see the problem in there? At least the problem of understanding. We have the same word used three times. One says, God doesn't, then says, or excuse me, the first says, God does that, and he says, God doesn't do that, would never do that, and then he says, God does that. Now, when someone claims there's contradictions in the Bible, ordinarily, that's, that's said with a sense by the skeptic who says it, that they've uncovered some, some problem that the authors of the Bible didn't realize was there or that Christians didn't realize they were there. Almost like a smoking gun. How can you believe that? Look at this. Like there's, there, here's this thing that if you just knew, really realized was in there, the whole thing would fall apart and you couldn't believe that anymore. I think that's the way that is off. The reason I don't believe this rot is because there's these contradictions in there. And if other people realized they were there, they would believe like me. Well, that's just, that's just not the case, and First Samuel 15 is a great way to see, a great place to see that. Because there is an issue. understanding what the author is saying and not saying, but it's a very obvious and intentional issue. In other words, the author of 1 Samuel knew he was doing this. This all happens in one chapter. He didn't write this word and say, God does that, and then forget he didn't forget what he just said and then contradict himself because he's too smart he's not smart enough to figure out he's contradicting himself and then contradict himself again a third time. This is not this is not some smoking gun. This is an intentional paradox by this author. That's why I want to call this a paradox and not a contradiction. A paradox is a seemingly, I just copy and pasted this off of a dictionary site on the internet, a paradox is a seemingly self-contradictory statement that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Simply put, a paradox is something that sounds like it can't be true, but turns out it's true. If you hear somebody give the testimony of their life, maybe you've heard someone talk about they got to some terrible rock-bottom experience in their life. That precipitated some change in their life. Maybe they gave their heart to Christ because of that, and they could rightly say, that was the worst day, and that was the best day of my entire life. That doesn't sound like it can be true, but it's absolutely true, right? That's a paradox. We have a paradox. We either have a paradox or a contradiction in this chapter. That's what we want to explore is, what does this author want us to think about this? Because he does this on purpose. Now, this isn't the only place in the Bible we can find this exact paradox, problem of understanding. I want to show you just a couple of places from each side. We could, there's lots of places we could go. I'll just show you a, three here. Here are some places where God, we are told God does not change his mind, have regrets. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, is nachem. That's the word that's used in our, in our passage. So Malachi 3.6, God says about himself, "'For I, the Lord, I do not change.'" Therefore, that's, that's why, Israel, you haven't been consumed yet because I, I have promises that I will keep and I don't change. James 1.17, every good thing uh, given and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. This isn't in Hebrew and it doesn't have this Hebrew word in it. But James says, with God, there's not even a hint of change. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man. He's not a human being that he should, nachim, repent, change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Can't you depend that what God says God will do? The answer is yes. Why? Because he doesn't change. And there's lots of places. There's other places we could find that truth. But, like in today's passage, there are some places where we're told the opposite. Genesis 6.6, 6, the Lord, came. the Lord, he was sorry, he regretted, he changed his mind, he repented that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. Later in Exodus, so the Lord changed his mind. There's our word again, relented, repented, about the harm which he said he would do to his people, and then he changed his mind. There are other examples of this also. So that's our problem of understanding what do we make of this. First, some or one way to explain this is to understand just that in general, words have a range of meaning or have ranges of meaning. This word, here's the Hebrew word, nachem. it's almost always translated in our Bible something like change mind, repent, or regret. It can be relent also. But it means different things in different contexts. In one place, this word can mean to feel bad, Right To be moved to feeling sorry, having pity, having emotional pain because of either something I did or because of something someone else did. In another context, it can mean to repent. It can mean to repent of sin. It can mean to go in a different direction, to change your mind. And do you see how number one and two really are, have quite different meanings, kind of related but pretty different? I don't want to explain this away just saying, well, the first time it means God has emotional pain, even though that's true, and the second time it means He would never change. But this isn't a cop-out. See, it's tempting to say, when we find one of these seeming contradictions, it's tempting for someone to go, well, that's convenient. You just make the word mean whatever you want it to mean. You say it means this in this page, and then you say it means something different over there. But that's the way words work. This isn't unique to Hebrew. If you open a dictionary and you look up a word, aren't there different definitions of the same word? Yeah, that's just the way words work. Look up the word degree in a dictionary sometime. It may mean a sheet of paper that hangs in a frame on someone's wall. It may mean uh, the credential that comes from graduating from a university. It may mean a, a, a measurement of temperature, a measurement of angles. It can, it, it can be like the amount uh, of passion I feel about the degree to which I agree or disagree with something. Words have ranges of meaning. That's just the way language works. So there's some sense of that in our chapter today. But I I don't want to try to use this just to explain it away. And I don't think that's wise because our author is doing something intentional. He's using the same word in one chapter saying, God does this, God would never do that. Oh yeah, God does this. There's something else we're supposed to consider besides the range of meaning in words so let's get into that here's the good stuff what do we do with a God who we're told would never change and then we find places where it seems like this God changes what do we do first it is interesting to note and very encouraging I might add that in the Bible, the Old Testament, because this is Hebrew, when he does this, Nachim, when he changes his mind, when he has regrets, when he goes in a different direction, we generally see that happening when God is saving people from judgment that they deserve. We'll just take our two examples I had on the screen first. In Genesis six, 6 when we read that the The Lord Naheim, he was sorry, he had pain, he regretted, he wanted to go in a different direction, that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. If you know that story, what was God about to do in Genesis 6? Say it a little bit louder than that. He was going to send the flood. He was going to pour out his judgment on the earth and wipe out mankind. God had created the world and given it to mankind as supposed to be our possession. God did make the earth for man, not man for the earth. But suddenly, God said, Man, he looks down and he says, All of man's thoughts are on evil all the time. So God. Changes his mind, he has this pain that things have worked out the way they worked out, and he decides he wants to wipe out mankind from on the earth. But he has promises to keep. So he saves a man named Noah. He saves Noah and Noah's family so that he can re- so that the earth can be repopulate repopulated with descendants of the same human race as he promised. The flood was God hitting control alt delete on mankind and rebooting this thing. So, God's regrets involved in God saving people from judgment even though many people fall into that judgment. Exodus chapter 32. Next book in the Bible, God has saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. He brings them out Lo and behold, what do they start doing? Worshipping a statue. And God says, I'm going to wipe that whole people out. Yada, yada, yada. Some things happen. And then God says, I changed my mind. I've relented. I've repented of that plan. And God changes his mind when he decides to save people from judgment they deserve. We could see this in the book of Jonah. Same thing. We'll see an example um, from Jeremiah in a minute that fits. In our text today, in First Samuel fifteen, God is also changing, having these regrets around saving people. Why did God give the job of being king to Saul? Was because God thought, man, he's tall and handsome. Seems like he would do a good job. We'll see how this works out. Is that why Saul got the job? Why did God let Saul become king? Because the people asked for a king that's like all the other kings of the, of the world. And when we pursue stuff that's less than God's best, he often lets us have what we're chasing. And so in today's passage, when when God has these regrets and wants to go in a different direction, what he's doing is is he is saving his people from what they want in order to give his people what they need. So God changes the direction it looks like he's going to save people from themselves. So that's one thing to know about when God seems to change. He changes when he saves. Another another reason that God seems to change his overall, change his direction is because God reserves the right to present people with conditional plans. With plans that are conditional. I have some verses from Jeremiah chapter 18 on here. Here's what's going on here. The prophet Jeremiah is confused by this. God, you have some promises to keep, and it sounds like what you are planning goes against something you promised earlier. And so God says this by way of explanation to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, at one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or a kingdom. I might say I'm going to uproot it. I might say I'm going to pull it down. I might say I'm going to destroy it. But if that nation against which I have spoken those things turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. And he says, so so you go tell Judah they're headed for destruction, but it might change if they change. God reserves the right to present people at times with conditional plans. In the big scheme of things, like God's bird's eye view where he knows all things, God knows what everyone's going to choose, right? God is not surprised by who repents and who doesn't. But God reserves the right to put choices in front of people where they are responsible for their choices. And they deal with the consequences. And somehow, even though God already knows, He's already ordained all of the happenings that happen, sometimes those people are still responsible for their choices. And the Bible's clear that there's room within God's sovereignty for people's choices to matter. The message of the Bible is never, doesn't matter what you decide, God knows everything and He's already decided everything. That's just, just never the message of the Bible, even though in some ways that's absolutely true. But we are responsible for our choices and God presents people with conditional plans. Now be that as it may, just because some of God's plans that he presents people with are conditional does not mean that God is fickle, that God himself can be changed by people, or that God doesn't have plans that cannot be changed no matter matter what. We see both of these things in, in Saul's life. Saul was given the job as king and it was a conditional arrangement. God told Saul, you can keep being king as long as you, what? As long as you obey. And you get to choose Saul. Did God know what Saul would choose? Yes. In fact, God had already promised that the king, the monarchy in Israel, would not come from the tribe of Benjamin. It would come from the tribe of Judah. God knew, but Saul's still responsible for his choices. Poor Samuel doesn't know that God knows the end, and he's just living through this. We'll talk about his pain in a minute. On the other hand, once God decides, Saul, you are fired no matter what, that became unconditional. No matter what Saul would do. That's why Samuel says what he says in the middle of this chapter. So I'm not going to go back with you. you. You rejected God. God has rejected you from being king. See, king Saul grabs a hold of his robe and it tears. And Samuel says, see, that's, that's basically you. You're going to be holding a shred of the kingdom, but you're already rejected. And then he says, the God, he's not like a person who can be changed by, by other people. This is firm." This is unconditional and he's not going to change his mind. Now for Saul, even though Saul can't get his job as king back, it's over. What would have been the best thing for Saul to do anyway? To confess, to repent, because Remember, Saul only tried to repent so he could get his jo- keep his job as king, but that's not his biggest need, right? Even when God allows the world to sort of fall apart around us, clinging to obedience to him is always best whether the circumstances change or not. So here's how I'd answer, in general, the, the, the problem in this passage. God has presented Israel in the person of King Saul with a conditional arrangement. He knows how it's going to turn out, but he is giving them what they asked for, knowing it will be a train wreck when they get it. And then God feels the emotional pain and regret that comes when it works out the way he knew it would work out. This is is an important thing to understand about God. God. God's unchanging and he is firm, but he is not cold and uncaring. I think this is vital to understand about God. Because when God allows Saul to be king like the people wanted, and then when it falls apart, the way God knew it was going to fall apart. He knew their sin of asking was good. Those chickens were going to come home to roost. And he knew it was going to be be awful. But God is not just up in heaven going, I told you so. God hurts with the people who brought the hurt on themselves. That's incredible about God. God has the capacity to feel the hurt that sin brings even though He knew the sin was going to bring the hurt. He's not cold and He's not uncaring. And so where does this leave? Where does this leave us? Just in our day-to-day lives when we're confronted with Situations where it seems like God isn't holding up his end of the bargain or that God has changed. A few things. First, I want you to know God still presents people with conditional agreements. This is going to happen if you choose this. That is going to happen if you choose that. And we're responsible for our choice. But it's impossible for us to know if we're dealing with a conditional or an unconditional plan of God. Let me explain what I mean. The next time my life falls apart in one way or another, I think it would be wise for me to examine if my, dis, my own disobedience has brought this on. Do I have confession? Do I have repentance that needs to be done? And maybe if I do that... The situation will improve. You think that's wise? It's wise. But it doesn't always work. Sometimes, like once God said, Saul, you're not going to be king anymore. He can confess and repent all he wants. He's not going to be king anymore. His kid's not going to be king. That the monarchy. After he dies is going somewhere else. He's never gonna be not rejected as far as being king. When in our lives, we never know which one of those we're living, we're walking through. I, I, I can't tell you, if you confess and repent hard enough, your cancer's gonna go away. Your kids are gonna straighten out we don't know. Sometimes the best the best we can do is be like David. When we get to 2nd Samuel chapter 12 about 23 and a half years from now when we make it that far, but we're going to get there, David is going to have an infant son on his deathbed. His infant son is going to be dying. And David is going to be experiencing all of the pain and heartache that comes with that. And later on, he will share what his mindset was during that time. And there it is on the screen. He said, I was like this, who knows? The Lord might be gracious to me and let him live. Sometimes that's as good as we, that's as good as we can be. That's as, as much assurance as we can have. Who knows? I'm going to cling to God and maybe... He will address the circumstances. But I'm going to cling to God anyway. Because sometimes God allows us pain that's not going to go away just because He wants to drive us to His heart and to Himself, which is ultimately better than the fixing of our circumstances anyway. So, where this idea that God seems like He changes sometimes... But we know he doesn't change. Can that be, that can feel really confusing? The second thing I want you to know about this is that it's okay to be upset when you don't understand what God is thinking and what he's up to. Let's revisit verse 11 from this passage again. And I, the italics I added here, it's just the text. I just emphasized it here. So here's what God says to Samuel one night. Oh, I regret that I've made Saul king. For he's turned away from me. He's not done what I told him to do. And catch this. Samuel became angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Who or what is Samuel angry at? God. We're not told. Samuel doesn't tell us what. He cried out to the Lord all night, just that he did, and it wasn't positive. He was angry. I think I know. I think when Samuel hears God say, I regret I made Saul king. I just feel bad about the way this whole thing turned out. Samuel goes, you what? You regret the way this turned out? I'm just a human and I knew this was going to be a train wreck. In fact, God, if you'll turn back a few pages, (laughs) you told me to go warn the people how this was going to turn out. You knew this was going to be a wreck. What do you mean you have regrets now? What do you mean you've changed your mind Samuel doesn't know how. This is like syntax error. It's okay to find yourself in a situation where you're like, what can God possibly be doing and be upset by that? It means you're human. Now, what Samuel does the next morning is he gets up and he goes back to work for the God he was just upset at. I tell people all the time, it's okay to be angry at God. Just know you are the one that's wrong. Right? It's okay to go, I don't get this. For Samuel, it's like, you made me warn them it was going to be a train wreck. Then you made me make this jerk the king when I didn't want to. And now you've got regrets at how this turned out. It is kind of silly when you think about it. I I completely understand with him being upset. But somehow he has the maturity the next day to go, but I know you're God. And I know you haven't made any mistakes. And he does not let his confusion or his circumstances that are not working out the way he would have liked, he does not let that become a wedge between him and the God of the universe. It's okay to be upset and angry at something God has done, but don't stay in an adversarial relationship with the sovereign God of the universe for very long. It's not a place you want to be. And that's Samuel. Samuel. And what is happening here is, again, God, he can give the people what they say they want. When it turns into the train wreck he knew it would turn into, he still hurts for his people. Because our God is a compassionate God. You ever done anything really stupid? you ever really made a mess out of stuff? Have you ever done something and you felt like God was in heaven saying? See, I told you that's what you get. Do you know what God was in heaven doing? Like, "Oh my child, I knew this was going to happen. And I know you chose that over me, and it, I want you to know it hurts me. So why don't you come back? And finally, I just want to show you how this all always points to Jesus Christ. It's a really, really good thing that God changes his mind. While we're walking through it, it can be really confusing It can be really earth-shaking. But remember, God changes his mind when he's working his redemptive plans out to save people who deserve wrath and judgment. When Jesus was on earth, and he was walking with his disciples, and he starts to tell them things like, hey, I'm glad you guys have figured out I'm the Messiah. Let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. My enemies are going to beat me up something fierce and execute me. How did the disciples react? Confusion. Rejection of that plan. This No, no Lord. This would never happen to you. Why did they feel so confused? It seemed like God was changing his mind. Because the Messiah was supposed to be the king. Messiah is supposed to reign and rule and judge the nations. Right? And he is. And they could not compute with God changing his plans. But it's a great thing he did because the wages of sin really is death. What we earn for our sin really is eternal separation from God, eternal death. God really did promise, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I will punish Every sin that has ever been sinned that 's the firm plan of God and once you sinned and once i sinned that's that 's the firm plan we are on unless God somehow changes his mind it's the it's the overall plan all along. it just looks to us like a plan change, but here 's the change this Wrath, this full cup of vengeance that this sinner deserves, I will find a way to pour it on one who never deserved it, which is what happened at the cross. So here's what this does for us. As we walk through situations where it feels like God has us on unsteady footing, like, can we trust Him? I can't understand what you are doing. We look back through the scriptures and go, wait a minute, there's been lots of people in the same sort of situation. God only changes his plans when he's working out his plan to save. Somehow there's salvation in this. I just need to cling to the one who never, ever changes. Even when it seems like he changes. And we know His best will always be best. Eventually. The best is yet to come even when we don't understand what we're walking through right now. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Uh, thank You for Your Word, even the hard parts. Uh, thank You for Your Word where You preserve for us where heroes of the faith Struggled to understand what you were doing, it puts us in good company when we feel like that. God, thank you for the change of plans that's always involved in when you save people from the judgment they deserve. Because we deserve the flood of your judgment, we deserve the cup of your wrath, yet you promise to save thank you that through faith in Christ we can see that you have poured the wrath we deserve onto him to save us. God, help us to be comforted that you are still compassionate even when our choices have messed things up, that you will always take us back. Thank you that you are a compassionate God who saves. And God help us to walk with you, even when and cling to you, even when we don't understand. We love you, and we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, and we will finish together.